everyone, um, this is Kyra, as you know, and I'm happy to say we're back in the new year with an incredible interview, and I will let him take it from there. Talk to us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing. Yeah, thank you. Um, hello there, my name is Reno Sosi, and I am the creator of Hashcap, uh, which is a Navajo-owned and inspired menswear brand. That's awesome. So, Reno, you want to like tell me what your name is in Navajo? Yeah, Yat Eshe Reno Sosi Yinashia Kabahan Nishlin Tchachini Bashishin Hushklishin Dashuche Tchanazani Dashinala Tseyat Kohedan Asha. So, what I just shared with you was uh, my formal Navajo introduction, and you know, in our culture, whenever we uh, it, whether it's in informal meetings or meet close new friends, you know, we we introduce ourselves in our language, uh, tell us who we are, where we come from. So, what I just said was, you know, hello, my name is uh, is 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 Reno Sosi. I am of the Water's Edge people, uh, born for the Red Running into Water clan. My maternal grandfather was of the Mud clan, and my paternal father was of the Tangle clan. And I uh, hail from where the water flows underneath the rock, which is also known as Cortez, Colorado. Beautiful. And and like what, like talk to me, like what inspired you to create this brand? Like why? <laughs> oh, yes, definitely. Well, so I, um, I'm originally from the Southwest of the uh, United States. And um, I'm, I'm, my background is uh, Navajo, which is one of the uh, several hundred Native American tribes that are that are uh, still thriving here in this country. Um, but both of my parents were artists. And I've always been kind of in tune with kind of the art world as well as kind of you know creating with my hands and kind of also living with my culture day to day so having with that in my mind uh you know being part of today's world you know i i've always been interested in fashion and once i came to learn more about kind of what's out there in the world of fashion i quickly came to realize wow there is a lot of um uh, brands out there that do kind of look towards Native Americans as subjects of fashion. And really, they kind of, uh, what I'll say is they they appropriate elements of our culture and really try to push us to the side of, uh, and, and don't give us any credit or don't um, share any of the inspiration with us. So as someone who's been whose background is in art, fashion, and with my culture, I wanted to create something that uh, authentically represents Navajo culture and does it in a way that kind of uplifts, uplifts uh, my Native community. Nowadays, we're all trying to uplift one another, but we also have to uplift, you know, the communities we're from as well and elevate the consciousness of the histories on the lived experiences. And you're doing that through art and fashion and, you know, through starting your own business, which I think is awesome. So how did you how did you get to that? Like, what was your whole like pathway to becoming this entrepreneur? Um, what did you do? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'll go ahead and say that you know starting a business is no easy easy thing. Uh, definitely did not happen overnight, but it's something that I've always had a dream of and sort of a vision to work towards, uh, which was just having my own fashion company uh, that was inspired by uh, by elements of my own culture. But I guess I knowing that that was my goal, I really tried to put myself out there in terms of like what 
and asking the question of what do I need to learn to really make this successful? Like there are several different models out there, you know, ones where that kind of focuses on the high art market and, and all the way to those that are very much more entry price point selling at craft fairs kind of, um, uh, kind of business. So where did I kind of want to be in that? And, uh, you know, how did I see myself, you know, being able to thrive in, in the market that it currently exists? So um, I can go in and dial back and say that, like, I, uh, I first needed to learn how to even uh, design clothing and to even uh, learn apparel construction. And in college, I was, I, my, University didn't have a fashion design program, uh, but I did take a lot of classes through the costume design, uh, through costume design in the theater department. That's kind of where I kind of learned a lot of the, the, the hands uh, on skills in terms of apparel construction and also the design process. And from that, I moved on to uh, to, to work in New York in the, uh, in the fashion uh, industry for a couple companies. And then uh, from that, I cut, I, kind of honed into my business skills and moved to Dallas for working for a large retailer. And the, a lot of those combined experiences together, I really got the knowledge and background to be able to create my own business and understand what I wanted to be and where I wanted to go. Basically, you outline the fact that like you went with what you were interested in. You went with mm-hmm. what you were passionate with. And then you you like were in the positions needed to, you know, propel your career. And so everything from living in New York City to living in Dallas, getting, uh, you know, that type of business, you know, acumen um, really has helped you be the, you know, future mogul that I foresee. <laughs> so <laughs> that is very exciting. So tell me, um, it, you talked about you took fashion classes in school. What did you end up studying? Um, what was like your major in school for you to get to this point? Yeah. So I, you know, like you said, I, you know, really worked towards what I liked and I really liked kind of uh, what I found in the American studies department. And for those that are unfamiliar with American studies, it is kind of like a blend of, in, in, in my definition, history, literature, the arts and something else. And that something else is, can really be anything that's that, that kind of fits into what you think America is that you find interesting. And for me, I found the idea of the American Southwest and art and the, the idea of exploration and, and creating in New Mexico and in Arizona, uh, kind of the focus of my, of my research. Very much bringing me back to my childhood of, you know, um, going to the Four Corners and uh, which is, for those who don't know, is you can like basically stand on the four corners of the four states, which is New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado. Is it also Oklahoma or is it Texas? Uh, Utah. Utah. There we go. Yeah. And we drove across. Um, I drove across with a few church friends. It was a mission trip, but um, the event itself going to the four corners as a, um, to go to the Navajo reservation to help like, you know, construct houses it has its politics around it that I'm, you know, don't necessarily approve of, but the experience itself gave me a glimpse into the community, which to this day has really, um, has really inspired me uh, and also taught me about a lot about like, you know, indigenous rights and lack thereof. And then in turn, I thought more about my own identity as like an immigrant and, you know, as like a, you know, child of African immigrants, I was like, you know, if they're treating the first peoples this way, (laughs) they are not going to treat, you know, the black and brown 
people as well who are immigrants or maybe not immigrants, first generation like myself, any better. Like this country has had a consistent history of really just uh, marginalizing and uh, segregating the peoples. And it's one that needs to be uh, heard. I learned in like high and middle school about the Trail of Tears. Actually, it was, it was elementary school. But I remember talking to friends in the East Coast and they never heard about it. Sorry, that was my rant. But um, tell us a little bit about, you know, growing up. Uh, so would you say that you grew up most of your time in reservation? Like what, what was it like growing up for you? Yeah, so I uh, I grew up in what they call a border town. So uh, for, for us, like a border town is one of the uh, uh, one of the non reservation towns, just right outside of uh, right like right off the res. So I grew up in the border town of Cortez, Colorado, uh, which is actually also on the border too of uh, of of uh, two of the Ute reservations as well. So growing up in the Southwest was honestly I thought was a it was a whenever I think back as, a, as an adult, like a very beautiful experience, if I can kind of sum it up, because being surrounded with with culture and history and for a lot of that to still be alive, it's not necessarily, you know, it's, I, I remember, um, you know, there's there are several historical sites that sort that surrounded us, and v- visiting those sites uh, all throughout grade school, and kind of this idea of like for for many of these sites we visit, they're you know sure like the map and archaeologists call them ruins, but for the people that are still alive and the communities that are still thriving uh, in the Southwest, for the indigenous people, those aren't ruins. There, it's part of a living history, and I just love that. There's there is an embrace of an appreciation of towards the land and protecting kind of what is, what is sacred out there. And that's something I, I really tried. I really try to carry on with me whenever I'm, uh, whenever I'm not home back on the res- back or close to the reservation. That That's incredibly important. And I feel that how we interact with history and, and how you absorb it is it's tantamount to like how you almost view yourself in a lot of ways. It's like, I like getting older isn't about the fact that you're no longer of use or a ruin, but that you are consistently sharing the knowledge that you have as a wiser person and imparting on others. That's what kind of like resonated with me or what I like heard from that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I appreciate that. Um, And that you, and I'm like, I feel like that you were very blessed in having that around you. I mean, as a Texan, like we, as I said, we like travel to various spots and spaces throughout the Southwest, but, you know, living in Dallas, it's not like I'm around that many monuments. Um, there are, obviously it's a city, it has monuments, but it was definitely a, a different interaction. Like I remember going to Austin and, you know, that's the capital and feeling like, okay, this is what's happening there. And, um, Obviously, I uh, not obviously. I had close family friends who worked um, at NASA, so going to Houston and going to the National Space Center, and you know, exploring that um, historically. But I think a lot of like lived monuments in history, I didn't really get as much interaction with that because a lot of my experiences which are still very great were, you know, hiking and and interacting with nature in that way, or like transplanting myself like in a car to get to those spaces. So Mm -hmm. I think it's very incredible that you have that so readily close to you. Um, Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think something too, that I, 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 
probably didn't appreciate as much when I was uh, when I was younger and I was there. And, I, and and this occurred to me when I was visiting my my sister uh, when she was in grad school in Boston, because you know Boston's one of you know the United States's like most historical cities. You know, a lot happened there, and it's like I remember going to one of those tours where you visit the site where it's like, oh, you know, John Adams, you know, like he hitched his horse at this post here, mm-hmm. but now it's like a Starbucks. So, uh, uh, things like that. But like back in the Southwest, it's, it's still, it's still, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to say the word underdeveloped because it's not, it's, you know, I don't, I don't want it to be developed, you know, like a full sprawling metropolis, but it, 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 it has its same, experience it has like if you were to go there today you would have a very similar experience to those who lived generations ago who experienced the same sunset who walked the same earth who you know could hear the same sounds who saw the same animals you know it 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 has that closeness and kind of like it's almost timeless in a sense and that's what i what i really like about new mexico and the southwest i can say it better myself (laughs) 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 and um so tell me, what was it like, or what is it like? I mean, growing up as you know, growing up in the border town um, as an Navajo, surrounded by all of you know these different cultures. Like, what was it like? What was like a glimpse in the day in the life of of Reno? Do tell. Yeah. So. I know I said, you know, that it it was a beautiful experience to grow up there and to be surrounded by culture, but, you know, I, so I was born in the nineties and I was probably, um, you know, a child and, and, and coming of age kind of when I, from what I understand is like this kind of revitalization of the Southwest and its identity, because it is that part of the United States is very rural and it does have a lot of clashing ideologies, uh, both in, 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 in politics and cultural identity. Um, you know, it, it's, it's growing up, the things were at odds with each other, I would say, you know, it's, for example, like on the, you know, as someone who is uh, part of the LGBT community, I had none of that support <laughs> growing up, unfortunately. And even for last time I checked, even to this day, like, you know, back on the Navajo reservation, like um, gay marriage is still outlawed uh, if you were to apply for a Navajo nation uh, marriage license. And it's like understanding where did this come from? Like, you know, like, why is it like this? Why, like, why are are a lot of, like, I thought that in our culture, LGBTQ people are revered, you know, they're special. They're part of this two spirit identity, but, you know, again, like looking at the history of our own even reservation, it's a lot of the influences are from the early missionaries that came to the Southwest. And, you know, that's just one example of kind of how things were clashing at, at odds, too. And it's, you know, back on the reservation, you know, there isn't necessarily private land, but whenever you kind of have like grazing rights in conflict with uh, traditional lands and off-reservation ranches and public lands, you know, it kind of gets hairy very quickly as to, you know, who has the right to graze where, who has the right to use this land there. Um, so it, it is it is a constantly at odds community. And I think growing up as a child, being at the, uh, being at the receiving end of that kind of like feeling like a leaf in the wind and not knowing, not settling down, like, you know, not finding, not being necessarily being at ease with what's going on around me with a lot of like, and quite frankly, 
a lot of these conflicts that were before my parents' time and before my grandparents' time that were offset just to how communities and governments were established as 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 settlers moved out west and uh, came into contact with uh, Native people. I feel like a lot of the battles that are obstacles that we face today are battles that have been faced by, you know, our forefathers and they have been raging on for, for a while. So it's like definitely, it's definitely important to note that. Um, but, you know, with that being said, it, it does sound like you, although you didn't have the support you needed, you have still managed to thrive, right? You still managed to be successful. Um, and I do think that that's very important to say and for people to hear. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, and so speaking of like Navajo in America and, and with, and, and what that means now, um, what are your thoughts on Deb Haaland um, as the new Native American Interiors, or as the new Interior Secretary, not the Native American Interior Secretary, <laughs> the Interior Secretary, Kyra going to write. What do you feel, what do you feel about that? Like, what are your thoughts on her? I'm, I'm, I'm quite honestly very excited because I think it's definitely long overdue that someone from the Native American community, you know, represents, is, is, uh, represents, um, is represented in the highest forms of government, you know, uh, like, you know, sh- sure there've been other native people who've served in Washington and also um, in Congress too, with Ben Knight horse Campbell um, several years ago from the Senator from Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it, 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 it feels very empowering. It feels like we're finally being seen again in, in, it is so to speak, you know, I like the last, you know, like most people don't know there's, you know, there's, 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 you know, there are several hundred different native tribes that are active here in the United States. I think, oh, I can't even remember the last count, maybe like close to 500 or over 500. Um, but again, like if you ask anyone to, 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 to who's not close to a native community to, to to name native tribes, of course, they'll name the big ones: Cherokee, Sioux, Lakota. The the you know, it's kind of funny they call it like the the five civilized tribes of the Northeast. You know, Navajo, Apache. But of course, that there are so many other communities that just aren't seen, that aren't heard. And I know that with uh with the uh nomi- with, with the nomination of uh, Deb Halen from Mexico, you know, she's from one of the public communities too and it's great to see that you know someone from such a a a small and humbling community can can serve um, not just native people but just put serve the united states like as like from the perspective that she has to really emphasize the the land and its use and kind of make it for everyone Oh, I say yes to the dress. I say yes to Deb Halen. I say yes to many of Biden's appointments. It was like, finally, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, why is it taking this long? Like, why are we recognizing that California was burning and then we like implement um, like, you know, strategies used by first peoples for centuries and, it, you know, it, we quell it. Like, why is that such a struggle for people to like think about or like for policymakers to consider. I actually have, I have three questions, actually two questions after that, after that one. One, do you prefer first peoples, Native American, American, which one do you prefer? Uh, so 
for me, I've always been used to Native Americans. Um, I think Indigenous peoples is also another term that I, I also really like to. I know up in Canada, they use uh, First Nations a lot. But I think, you know, something that does kind of like identify, you know, that we are, we were here, like, we like we were here and we still are here. Not, you know, I I I I really try to stray away from like other terms such as like Indian because you know that's another yeah. you know group entirely. <laughs> that's not you know the, and and like the the history of how that of how that started too for that term to be used again too is all based off of a, 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 a history filled with strife and yeah and, 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 yeah. and you know force feeding a culture and religion and perspective on an entire population for the benefit of their own well-being quote unquote mm-hmm. so they say but yeah no I, I i was i was as i'm speaking i was like that is something that i mean i don't know i've heard you know in native and in, in, in canada i obviously have a lot of canadian friends and so Yes, I agree with you that that's an, um, like that there's like different phrases like regionally, but it's good to know for this conversation, I will refer to everyone as Native American. So that is fair. Um, and then my other question, you said the civilized tribes of the North. Did you say that? Yes. Wait, people say that? Yes, that's that's how you, that's that's how you uh they're it's taught in the in like history books. They're, oh. they're, yeah, they're they're uh referred to as the five civilized tribes, which I thought is like a funny name to like that they assigned to kind of group together um the uh these five tribes. I I I, I think it was a Cherokee, uh Choctaw, Chickasaw, Creek and Seminole. But that uh, just to me is blatantly racist. I'm sorry. Yeah. But the fact that in our history books, they have the five civilized tribes, that's just blatant racism. Like I'm sorry. <laughs> so everyone else is not civilized? Like what? Yeah, I, I I don't fully understand the the connotation, or um, I mean, I, I roughly know how that came about. You know, uh, it, it was you know in terms of how those tribes were organized themselves and interacted with uh, you know with with the early Europeans and mm-hmm. uh, a colon- and colon- and colonists too. But yeah, like you know, like like to me, I'm just like okay, like like every single tribe out there had a functioning body of how their community worked. Like, how is that not civilization? You know, we, how, you know, each tribe has their own uh, set of rules and, and governance and beliefs and, you know, uh, up, you know, uplifting and, and, and rewarding leaders in the community. Like <laughs> how is, is, is my big question. Yeah, I'm pretty disturbed by that. Uh, <laughs> anything else you've seen in history books uh, that you find very questionable? I'm curious. Yeah. Um, so I, re- I know you mentioned earlier the Trail of Tears. Yeah. I know it's, it's probably in, in most people's history books. It might be three paragraphs max. Yeah. Oh, no, that's exactly how many. That's yeah. Um, but yeah, like I... I uh, and I actually didn't even learn about this until I went to college and, 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 
took a lot of coursework, you know, again, part of my American studies curriculum too, but, you know, the, the, the whole legal dispute of the Trail of Tears and, you know, the, uh, that the, that the, the Cherokee Nation, you know, appealed all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States saying that, like, you know, we cannot be removed from our land. Like, we, like, we are our own Cherokee nation here in uh, what was, you know, what was that, you know, in, in Georgia and the Supreme court and, and the Supreme court did actually rule, you know what, you are right. You know, we don't have the right to do this to you. And the then president of the United States, I believe it was uh, a president, um, Andrew Jackson told the chief justice of the Supreme court of all right, you made your ruling. Now you can enforce it with your own army. And he went forward with the removal of the Cherokee people because, and he defied really what, what the ruling of the Supreme court was. Oh, Andrew Jackson, the president of all presidents, when it comes to doing whatever the fuck he wanted. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Honestly. <laughs> that and I don't mean to laugh it's just pretty it's pretty messed up he's like and I hear you but I don't care sounds kind of like Trump which by the way I'm counting down the days to the inauguration and I cannot wait that's my other caveat I'm like super excited um people like that show Americans that there is no consequence to the decisions you make and that you're and that every decision you make is always right and that I, I just don't feel like young people need to be told that. Like, oh, it doesn't matter what decision you make. And even if it was wrong, it's correct. And you don't have to admit that you're wrong because whatever you say is right. Like that mm-hmm. is what an authoritarian leader does. Hey, are you looking for a new podcast? I totally recommend you check out Three Righteous Mamas, where three all-American moms who are Latina, Muslim, and queer Talk about the issues of the day with some of the biggest change makers and thought leaders in our world. These mamas are definitely on a mission to transform our country and celebrate the power and hope of pissed off mamas who are building the better future for all our children. There's no podcast quite like it, so check it out. As someone you know who studied U.S. history and you know interacts with you know today's world and you know and, and young people much uh, like myself is something I always hear about you know is bad you know like travesties that have, uh, uh, that have happened in the past and how how they could be happening today or how they are happening today and just some people I will go ahead and say you know just have the response of oh that issue happened a long time ago. Like racism happened a long time ago. Like, like, like the infringement of rights of native people happened a long time ago. That's a thing that's not happening now. Or if, if it is happening now, it's not a big deal. And I think that's the thing, like, kind of <laughs> the response of like, well, you know, how does this manifest itself in, in today's world? And, you know, and like, like you said, too, with our uh, with the with the current president, too, like very similar to Andrew Jackson, just openly defying the legal system and just doing whatever he wanted with no with no repercussions whatsoever. Yeah, it's just when we look back at our history, you see the patterns and you see what is should not be allowed. And you hope that the future is not repeated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's all. And this is why I feel like, you know, our history books should be, you know, rewritten in a way that it's not 
written through one lens, you know, mm-hmm. to be seen through various perspectives. As you said, Trail of Tears was like three paragraphs. The fact that I even remember, like that, it was de- sad. And you sh- we should be learning, no matter what region you live in, way more about that and way mm-hmm. more about, you know, issues that are faced by those, by like, you know, marginalized communities, whether it be Native American, whether it be Black, whether it, you know, be Vietnamese. So I get very annoyed because I feel like it's it's not on only the teachers to make these curriculums, but also our policymakers to to enforce it, to suggest it, to like also help support institutions that want these type of changes. So yeah, sorry again, a pulpit. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no worries. Yeah, no, I, it's it's something I, I I do think about all the time too, and it's it's. Yeah, I always think about too, you know, how can I, you know, give back to the conversation? How can I, um, you know, I, I, if, you know, I, I will admit I'm not necessarily brave enough, you know, to be, you know, standing out there with some of our great activists out there, like on the front lines, but, you know, how can I, you know, challenge and change the the opinions of 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 even friends that, that are around me that I that I meet too who just don't know. It's just mm-hmm. you know who just don't know that this is happening well your activism is is you know waking up in the morning and taking your breath and talking on podcasts and writing about (laughs) the work you're doing that's activism itself it doesn't always have to be on the front line so i personally feel like everything you're doing is activism and i feel like most activists would agree with you so circling back to um you know being a storyteller and entrepreneur um can you tell me more about like how products are made, like, you know, again, I know that you are inspired by various elements, but perhaps giving another um, synopsis of us to like, why you're like, I need to do this. This has to happen. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, I, and before I kind of get into that, I can kind of describe kind of the the landscape that I saw out there in terms <laughs> of fashion and even, you know, even the existing uh, Native American fashion that's out there. Uh, so, uh, when I was first working on this, I remember originally, you know, working in luxury in New York and working for a luxury retailer in Dallas, like I, you know, and just kind of the world that that is in and the type of money that it's exchanged in that level, the kind of recognition and spotlight that kind of allows, I always thought that I would be designing, um, luxury women's wear. You know, I thought that was going to be always going to be what I would be doing. But I remember after working in those two, those two in, in, in New York and Dallas realizing, you know, like I sure I could certainly design luxury women's wear, you know, design beautiful Navajo inspired evening wear and gowns, you know, something, something that would be appropriate for the, the, the Met Gala or the, or the red carpet. But I quickly learned that in that world, a lot of those things are made once and they're only made once and they're only worn once. And, you know, if, and what was important to me was that I be able to reach as many people as I could and not necessarily to with just like the idea of what I'm creating, but with the actual product itself, you know, to actually live with this element of Navajo culture in their everyday lives. Like that was important to me. So 
it wasn't until I went to a, a concert here, an, out, an outdoor concert here in Texas, where I was just kind of like amongst the crowd and everyone was, was, it was a very easygoing environment, very like uh, relaxed and chill attitude. And just looking around me and just thinking, you know, this is, this is who I want to wear my clothing. This is who I want to be able to uh, be associ- you know, cl- closely associated with, with like authentic elements of, of Navajo culture. So that's why I went towards uh, more towards the middle market for for what I wanted to create, and because uh, out there when I first started this, you know that there that there were Native American designers, you know, doing super high end, one of a kind pieces, um, all and also too like uh, uh, those are appealing to the mass market with a lot of um, beautifully printed uh, T shirts and a lot of. Uh, you know, a, a, a lot more accessible items. But I thought, you know, no one's really doing the middle market. Kind of that, like in between those two. That kind of uh, is, you know, it's a, it's the in between price, the middle price point, and uh, so, and that's kind of the approach that I wanted to take was to appeal to that. And and when I was out there, like I was also in the market too for, you know, like I want to be able to support. Uh, native creators as well and you know i wanted to be able to wear native created menswear and realizing you know the only thing that's really available out there for me are are t-shirts so i saw that there was a need to create a a to to create a a, a product that sells native uh fashion that's for men that's inspired by men and uh and that's what i created and that's kind of the focus of 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 how i got started with that but to uh to kind of speak to like the whole creative process too like storytelling is at my is like one of the uh, most important elements of what i do because i think that being out there and to you know not necessarily just like yes like i could make something and just like like you know I could literally make anything, you know, just make the most simplest thing, the most complex thing. It doesn't matter what I make as long as it's made by my hand or by my mind, call it native, call it Navajo. But for me, like, I thought like, you know, like for something to be Navajo is from our perspective for us to how, you know, it's how we see the world and how we interpret who we are and our place in it. And I love the idea of that. And, and I thought, how can I carry that idea in, into clothing? How can I share what is this Navajo worldview um, that, 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 that people can have and integrate into their everyday lives? So that's why I created this, the focus on storytelling, where each of my pieces are, you know, each piece is inspired by some element of what I call the Navajo experience. I don't necessarily want to say fully like Navajo culture, because Navajo culture is, you know, culture is a really big term that can mean, you know, is it, you know, does that mean I'm like tell, telling about our cultural stories, is it more of our spiritual beliefs, like what element of that, but the Navajo experience is also more than that. It's, you know, it's about, it's about the land. It's about our association with nature. It's about our, uh, our um, reverence for our elders and family. And, you know, it's a lot of things that are, that, that my ancestors uh, taught us, but it's also things too, that like come up in our own native pop culture as well. So I wanted to be able to share those experiences uh, through my clothing. And so what I do is I 
kind of focus in on, on like what exactly like what component of 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 the nav experience do I want to tell and exactly like what are the emotions what are the feelings what are the things that kind of play into that and um yeah it, 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 I, I I hope that answered your question I could kind of oh, speak you- to you to, definitely did. It okay. was beautiful. No, I, you were taking me to like exactly through your process and like storytelling um, through the, like your lens of like the Navajo lens, but also like your process. Like, I think it's so incredibly awesome that, you know, each piece has a story and, it, and, and that you mentioned that it's not necessarily like just like Navajo culture, but like a Navajo experience. And I don't think a lot of, I can't even think of a lot of fashion leaders in the industry we're in stylists who are that have necessarily always that perspective so Mm -hmm. I I feel like it's a very unique one and again I'm not like no fashionista by any means but like I I feel like that is definitely I think missing um I feel like a lot of fashion elements are borrowed from various places and spaces as opposed to um, you know, the originality or authenticity, but again, I could be wrong. Um, but what I found, you know, striking about, and correct me if I'm butchering the name, Hashke. Um, Hashke is, you know, there's that accent on the E and I, I remember going, when I first created the brand, going back and forth of, should I have, you know, should I have the accent on the E Would it be hard for people to pronounce? But I just thought, you know, if, if those, if brands like Comme des Garçons can, you know, have their characters exactly. on it, you know, I, I, I'm going to put my foot in the ground and say, I'm going to have the traditional spelling of Hashke. Yeah, Hashke, like, honestly, and, and, and saying it again, like, I can say it. Like, when people can't say my name, I'm just like, okay, you can say it because it's pretty simple, but it could be difficult to others. So I'm like, that's what I wanted to ask. And also mm-hmm. to normalize, you can ask questions, people, if we don't know how to say something, mm-hmm. as to bulldozing through the name, just kind of ask again, like, oh, I want to make sure that I'm saying it correctly. Is this mm-hmm. correct? Hashke. Awesome. So yeah, it, you know, circling back to what I was saying before, I just, I felt like visually just going through your website, I was like, I feel like I'm in the Southwest. I am, I'm seeing, you know, like also, like the textures and the look is like very, you know, very much what I'm like would love to see in fashion. Um, I feel like for me, all of my clothes have stories. Uh, I'm either, all my clothes have stories because I'm either borrowing it from other people or they're giving it to me or, but so, you know, storytelling um, is obviously something that hits for me on like various levels. Um, But yeah, I mean, I definitely would recommend for anyone who is looking for some, you know, beautiful pieces in men's apparel um, to definitely check out the website. Um, I will put it up when I put up the interview as well. And uh, is there, you know, anything else that you want the listeners to know about, about your brand, about yourself? Yeah. Uh, oh, I, I, I feel like I could talk for hours about anything really, but, uh, um, I guess kind of, I, I guess I could kind of touch on to two points too, you know, when you're talking about like the names of things too, you know, and it's okay to ask, like, I remember when I named my, uh, you know, like my first series. So right now I, I, my only active series is called, um, 
northern travels at dusk mm-hmm. uh, and it's inspired by traveling around in the northern regions of of our land um, as the sun's going down so from those pieces you know there's you know i have a, a i have a, a striped shirt that's inspired by tall you know like tall forests as it's you know turning into nighttime i have these they have this uh kind of rust colored um shirt that you know that looks like it but like when it when it creases and it folds, it, it it has the you know similar illusions as to like canyon walls as you know as as the shadow starts to overtake it, um, and and one of the the favorite pieces is actually the uh, the very dark navy midnight blue colored style um, the chahasesh uh, short sleeve shirt. Mm-hmm. And I love it because uh, I, it's inspired by the night sky up in the north. As it's it's uh, it, it, the night sky up in the north, um, and so the term chahalesh actually is you know it is a Navajo word that refers to the darkest point in the night. Is 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 what it's is oh, wow. what it means okay. yeah and so like this shirt it is it's very dark because everyone thinks it's black but it's actually very dark blue and it's like very similar to like in the middle of the night where it's like it's so dark it's so it you know it, it's so dark in the middle of the night that it kind of just absorbs all light but at the same time too like in nature you know up up north like it's so dark and as a result of it being so dark, the sky is still very bright because of all the, you can see all of the stars, you can see the Milky Way, you can see this like this like shimmering like sky above you. And at the same time, the 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 style I created, the shirt, also has a sheen to it. And it's also has this like shininess to it mm-hmm. as well. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of interesting, you know, like how how can this shirt be so dark that people think it's black and that it absorbs all light? But it also has this sh- shimmeriness to it. Is uh, and and I, I I love being able to 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 make connections and create like that. But I remember when I even named the style too, like thinking, you know, should I even call it the Chahalesh short sleeve shirt? You know, should I just say midnight blue short sleeve shirt? But again, too, like putting my foot in the ground of like, you know, this is part of my culture. This is part of who I am. This is this is exactly is what I was inspired by. I'm going to call it the Chahalesh. And, you know, I, I was a little afraid to see, you know, would that be intimidating in some way to to uh to uh, potential shoppers you know it's like oh i don't quite know how to pronounce this you know you know it, it's that weird uh, you know a uh, shopping psychology but i was actually surprised that uh pleasantly surprised that it's actually my best selling style out of my, out of my current series yeah I love that. I love the fact that like you have anxiety, you have the like marketing, you're like, okay, marketing, is this going to work? It's, you know, it could be considered difficult pronouns, but it's, it's the most, it is the most popular item. And that's awesome. That's like in itself, it's like, ha, I was right. Like I stay stay true to my authenticity and, and, and to what I believe would be like, you know, a representation of my culture and, and people are absorbing it. And I feel like that in itself is like, uh, she put on like a sign and, you know, flown across the sky, like be you, mm-hmm. <laughs> be you, be authentic. Uh, I'm, I'm on the website right now and I'm reading, you know, which is like this beautiful written, um, 
of, of inspiration of your first collection. And it says, um, as Napo people, we believe that our thoughts have great power and contribute to how we interact with the world around us. We aim to live a life centered in beauty and positivity. We live connected with our world and those around us. In Napo language, we call our life in balance, Hoso. Am I saying it right? How do you pronounce it? Hoso. Hoso. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it definitely is. Like, I'm like, it actually has a lot more Spanish than I, I mean, I guess it makes sense clearly, but uh, I, I think that when I was pronounce it, I'm like, perhaps it's more different, but Hoso, that's beautiful. Lovely. Think, yes. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no. So I definitely recommend for those listening to, you know, check out the website, definitely, uh, you know, purchase, and share as well. I think the biggest thing is also sharing this, you know, incredible story as well as products. And uh, yeah, I can't be, I can't, I mean, I, I can't be more proud to have you on the podcast and, you know, well, thank you. <laughs> um, it was through a connection through a high school friend who I like, you know, connected with last summer in Dallas and hope to connect with next summer in Dallas as well. And, you know, it's just, it's things like that when you share that you realize that like someone else will share something you've done and then putting you in contact. So it's like pretty fantastic. So like, what was it like? Like, I mean, I already know that it's difficult. So can you explain to the listeners how difficult it is as just in entering the fashion industry in New York, let alone being one that is of color and, and what type of hustle that requires? Yeah, of course. Um, so, you know, I'll go ahead and say, like, living in New York is is not easy, no matter kind of what what industry you work in. Uh, but I found it particularly difficult in fashion because I, I, you know, my, my, I know that, like, uh, you know, some, you know, aspiring young people go to New York to make it big, to work in fashion. And uh, I've as as someone whose whose family didn't have much money and I didn't have a lot of resources, I I I probably would not have made it without uh, support from um, from my university as part of like a study grant. But I just remember going and and when that was about to run out, meeting with other interns of like, hey, like you know, how do you make it here? Do you work a job outside of this internship? Like you know, how do you live here? And the response being of, oh, my parents pay for everything for me to be here. My food, my housing, my, you know, and I'm just like, oh, I, I, I don't have any of that. And that's, and that makes it even more difficult with that stress and anxiety on my mind and, and realizing that, you know, to enter in the fashion world, especially in in New York, it's, it is, it is very difficult for 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 low income um, families and and people of color too because the, these systems are not set up to really you know bring those talent like to bring talented people from all communities to to a, to a fashion capital like New York to, to to thrive and have a fair opportunity and that's kind of what I saw when I was out there is that really it's it's those who had money and privilege and 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 the right connection and were born with the right connections or those that were in the best position to be able to make it. Um, so, but I'm, I'm, I'm very glad that uh, someone gave the opportunity to me uh, and that my college was able to, to support me at least, you know, in, in that, in that first few months when I was in New York. And that is 
you know, yeah, facts. And and I'm sure that in the future you will, you know, impart the same opportunity to somebody else. Like I, I'm sure I'm mean, paying it forward is always important, but I also find that like the unpaid internship gamut in this, in, in this town in particularly <laughs> is ridiculous. And it just, mm-hmm. I just find it people. And, and right now as, as someone who's a job seeker, it's, it's so funny how, and darkly depressing how, the um the salaries have you know decreased incre- incredibly and a lot of people are just taking whatever jobs they can because you know for the experience but i'm like you are adding to a system that is uh, not the people who are taking those jobs but like the people who are offering the jobs companies offering those jobs adding to a system in which somebody who comes from a low-income background or are they are black and brown it is already that much harder and now you're making it even harder for them to survive and um and they're going to be less inclined to take these opportunities mm-hmm. these opportunities because you can't so i just yeah I, yeah. I, yeah it's just it's <laughs> shitty yeah and i think with that too like 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 knowing that that's something i had to navigate myself and like you said pay it forward even with the brand that i create now like you know when i was in in the early stages to get to get everything off the ground like i remember reading those like books and articles of like you know starting your own fashion business things you can do to save money and it's like oh like if you if you find a photographer you like maybe you just like if you can't pay them you know just tell them you, you know you'll pay them in exposure or like models say you know if you can't pay them oh, you'll pay them in like it, all this stuff no. and i exactly and i thought to myself like as, as as someone who is you know a co-creative that is offensive yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. and I, but i also thought too like if I love someone's work, if I want to work with a, with a photographer or a model or a graphic designer, I need to pay them for what they're worth. And to me, like the work they produce is, is, is worth a lot. And I definitely want to be able to, 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 to pay it and, and to, to support them in what they do that they're great at. So that's the thing that I've always, you know, even now in, in the, the early stages of, of, of my company too, is I'm always like pro paying artists and creators cheers to that and thank you um i know that i asked you if there's any other thoughts but i would say that like i think that from what i've taken from this conversation is that um you know even for myself is really listening more than just you know my uh, my perceptions of what you know navajo culture is you know from my brief interaction um which was obviously very skewed um makes me realize how much more there is for, to learn and how much more there is for people to learn about um novel culture but also just you know native americans in general <laughs> um mm-hmm. just, just uh, you know and i'm like deeply inspired to learn more of american history through that lens um are there any books you would recommend or you know um, any things that you would say like, Hey, like I really found this transformational in my life. You know, I think that if I had one book to recommend, um, and I I wouldn't necessarily say it transformed my life, but I think, you know, yeah, as someone who, you know, grew up with the culture who also, you know, growing up in our Western society now, you know, it's like, I'm living in between two worlds. My mind is set in between two worlds. And it's like, how can I find the language to describe 
what is inherently just who I am in my mind, especially with, you know, some Navajo ideas and thoughts that just don't easily translate well <laughs> into English or even into the Western uh, sense. But I remember coming across a book called uh, The Sacred. Uh, and The Sacred, it's not strictly, uh, you know, about um, Navajo people, but it's about indigenous cultures in general in, in, in North America. Um, and it's, I remember reading this book and it really was an aha moment where it's like, this book describes everything that I feel like is true to my identity but in English. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it talks about like, you know, what is, what, you know, what do native people regard as sacred? What is something that's special? And it's not, you know, it's not necessarily, it's not like a, it's not like a religion type thing. It's not a culture type thing, but it's like, you know, what, you know, like the power of the mind, the body, the spirit, and just embracing the mysteriousness of the universe. You know, it, I think that book really helped, put into words a lot of these ideas that just float around in, 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 in who I am. Oh, I love that. And I'm all about the energies that you attract and also about, um, you know, manifesting what you want. And obviously hard work goes into that as well. So this sounds like a book. The sacred sounds like a book I got to read. So <laughs> <laughs> yes, it sounds up my alley. So, but yeah, all in all, thank you so much for being on and um, I we will definitely be in touch if it not be when I'm in Dallas or if not to just follow up, just to chat, just gab. Um, but I, I appreciate you and sharing your story and I hope you all appreciated listening. So thanks again. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode of No Country for Moving, please raise your hand up to the roof. Mine is raised so high, which you could see me. This episode was so relevant, uh, and particularly as our country uh, grapples with how do we include the Native American population in our histories, our learned histories. Um, what do we not know? A lot, as we heard from this episode. Five civilized tribes, that is just a no-no. That's that's just not appropriate. Uh, and again, <laughs> How much of fashion are we culturally appropriating? And how can we be better about that? How can we give proper attribution to those who created this story, this fabric, this history? Reno showed us that we all have a story and learning about his business hopefully gave you some pilas to create your own or if you're already an entrepreneur to keep going, keep that motivation alive. Um, by pilas, I mean batteries, energy. So I really hope you enjoyed this episode and I sincerely hope you check out Reno's company, which is H-A-S-H-K-E.com and get yourself some clothes. All right. All right. Lots of love and sending you all the good energy.